Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. It's great to be back with you. My name is Clay Wright, in case this is your first time joining us or you don't know me. And uh, I'm here joined by Pastor Jim Minling. Hey, good to be here. Yeah. Uh, missed it last week. It was, I know. Uh, I, I, did you have a good vacation? I, I did have a good vacation. Good. I We... Uh, we spent a lot of time fishing in the in uh, in the deep sea, which was very fun. Good, good. <laughs> it was, and it even tasted better than than it, <laughs> than it was just fishing. So, in, into the deep. Remember that phrase. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, that what a what an Easter egg, Jim. You tease. You tease. Um, yeah, I did. I did miss this last week, and I'm really excited to get back into the swing. Uh, just this opportunity to do what we do each time we get on this podcast, which is to pick up pieces that get left behind or that uh, that get left off during the study of God's word yeah. that we can uh, gaze back into. We can check out some deleted scenes. And you have to will. be especially careful these days because we're flying through Luke 4 so fast <laughs> that you could you could miss so much missing just one week. That's right. That's right. That's yeah. We're actually going to have have a 2-hour podcast today to make up for last week because there's so much missing. But yeah. no, I'm I'm joking. We're not. And we and yet I think it's appropriate, you know, to to pause and to look at this. I I've mentioned this before, but um, we're walking through the book of Luke and we're looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is a huge theme in mm. Luke's gospel. It really is. It's a huge theme, as you've said, in the life of Jesus. And so, um, and, and on top of that, there's a lot of misunderstanding, <laughs> right? Which is uh, something is. we talked about a bit last time we recorded the podcast. Is that there, or maybe it was two times ago, but there there can be misunderstanding about the holy spirit and words associated with the ministry of the holy spirit like anointing mm -hmm. which is what we were looking at uh this last week this past sunday yeah so um maybe you can start off would you uh recap for us i know you had a sentence where you sort of summarized anointing as you've studied it as you understand it to help us to understand it mm -hmm. could you give us that sentence and then work us into um what are some ways that people misunderstand anointing or what are some common misconceptions about it? Why is okay. why can't it be like a taboo type of thing? Sure. Well, yeah, if you heard the sermon, then you know the sentence I'm about to give is a kind of a compacting of the four points of, of that I drew from the Old Testament's understanding of anointing. So uh, first and foremost, or not necessarily foremost, but first of all, from the story of... of Samuel anointing David, we see that the anointing brings the reception of God's power. Mm -hmm. So this is a very key part of biblical anointing, that God's power is comes, you know, and fills a person and now, you know, is working in them. So it's just really cool. So anointing is God's receiving God's power so that we can... Um, represent God's presence, so we're we're acting like ambassadors to mm -hmm. uh, of God in this in the earth on earth and any setting that we're in. So it's to receive God's power to represent God's presence to respond to God's promptings. He's the one that's leading. We're representing Him, so we want to listen to Him, so that we can finally realize His God's purposes. So in all one phrase. Anointing in, in the Bible is to re, is receiving God's power, so we can represent God's presence, so we can respond to God's promptings, so that we can realize God's purposes. Yeah, and yeah. It's a mouthful, and obviously, it, I could preach four sermons on that. You know, which which is each one of those things can be elaborated on extensively. Um, but as far as how that gets misunderstood, well, you know, there's all kinds of room for misunderstanding uh, in each one of those four. Sub points, you might say, mm -hmm. but I think the, starting off with just the word anointing, I think uh, some people, instead of reading the biblical understanding, so in other words, instead of drawing their biblical theology, uh, their theology from the Bible, they do 
what we call ex, eisegetical exercises. They mm-hmm. read into a word. And so this is, this is what always gets us in trouble when we're preaching the word. Are we reading into our ideas? Uh, are we reading uh, into the text our own thoughts and our own experiences? Mm. This, is where, this is where folk theology comes from, is that my experience colors so deeply what I'm interpreting and what I'm reading that I almost ignore what the Bible says mm. uh, and just live off of my own experience. And so when we talk about folk theology, that's primarily what we're talking about is it's, it's popular teaching that gets passed around that is more based upon people's experiences than it is based upon biblical truth. And the fact that they, the, the folk theology is often rife with biblical language causes people who don't have discernment or who don't know the Bible well to go, well, I hear Bible verses, I hear Bible language, it must be biblical truth. And um, uh, this is, you know, obviously one of the biggest reasons for why we need to be students of the Bible. We need to know the word so that we're able to discern, okay, you're using biblical language but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are, uh, you know, representing biblical theology. Mm. And uh, in fact, I had a person come up to me after the service this past one of the services this past Sunday, and uh, it was a couple, and they were at a, f- a funeral this past week where mm. the pastor was um, <laughs> saying some things at the funeral. Believe it or not, that you know. Jesus is still deciding whether or not this person who just died will be saved or not. Mm. And the, they were quoting some Bible verses and you know, they were asking me, that's wrong, isn't it? You know, cause, cause we were sitting there going, you know, Jesus is still deciding whether mm-hmm. that person's going to be saved. And I'm like, yeah, yeah that's okay. not, that's, that's not biblical. Right. But you know, and they quoted a verse here and a verse there and, and, you know, and uh, so this is what folk theology does. It quotes a verse or it quotes a biblical image, but it doesn't draw its truth from that biblical understanding, whether it's a word or an image or a mm-hmm. story. Yeah. And then you just kind of add some other experiences and it becomes you know, popular and it gets repeated. And next thing you know, that's what everybody believes. Right. And so, you know, what we did with the word anointing is we we did kind of a little model biblical theological study of yes. of showing this is where we're getting our understanding from. It's from the story of David and this very significant anointing. And why David? Because that's one of the high points in the whole Bible. The Bible constantly looks back to David. He's the high point of Israel's kingship. He's the high point of Israel's reign. You know, he, God did something in David that he was promising, you know, I'm going to do something messianic through yeah, the line yeah. of David. So David's, he's like a measuring stick. Yeah. He's a, well, he's a shadow, right? He's a, he's this, he's this so type to come, right? This ty- Yeah. And, uh, he's a, we, we've talked about typology on the podcast, mm-hmm. uh, and when we're talking about messianic figures in the old 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 Testament, um, David is one of those figures, mm. right? Oh, he's one of the, the biggest. He is the biggest messianic figure in the Old Testament, right? And, and, and yeah. if you pause and unpack that, the language of that saying to say mm. David is the, the biggest messianic mm. figure in the Old Testament, of course, as you said on Sunday, Messiah is a word that we use. It's a transliteration of the Hebrew mm-hmm. that just means anointed. Yeah. So it's David is the biggest figure of what it looks like to be the anointed one exactly that's given before Christ. Yeah, it's yep. so it's yeah this is all you know you, you don't, don't want to just pick anybody in the old testament to when you pick david you're you're in solid ground <laughs> right especially when it comes to this language of anointing and this idea of messianic promise etc yeah yeah and i think I, I really loved seeing how you worked through th- that sort of the the different contexts of of anointing starting in the old testament working through thinking about the life of jesus and then applying it to us okay yeah those three yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, because it's it's modeling uh good biblical theology Mm -hmm. i mean what we're receiving from the text what are the categories that the bible is giving us to think about empowered living uh well the bible likes to use this word anointed it's Mm -hmm. all over and whether it's messiah or christ or just the word anointing or the symbols of of the olive oil these sorts of things yeah this this is not we're not we didn't decide one day 
Oh, we, we should find out what the Bible says about anointing because we think independently anointing is important. <laughs> the Bible is saying, hey, being anointed is a big deal. Right. It has to do with the Holy Spirit and the move of God. Um, just, I mean, these are some nuanced differences that we're talking about, but in every way, you're never going to, it's, it's a lot harder to get it wrong. If you're, if all you're trying to do is receive and understand what the Bible is saying, what yeah. we get it wrong, like you're saying, when we read into the Bible, what we want it to say. Well, and also depending on what kind of church you've grown up in, or, you know, if, if you're not a part of open door, you're maybe attending another church and you're listening to this podcast because there's millions of people who are in, in that situation. I, <laughs> I know. Um, you know, you might hear this word anointing all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been in church services. One of my my best friend in high school wasn't a Christian uh, and became a Christian uh, right after high school, partly because of some, some trouble that he and I got into together. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a long story. We got arrested and all that, you know. And it was a wake-up call for him. He came to Christ. Wow. And he got involved in this a very charismatic church. And he's like, you know, you, you got to come to my church, come to my church. And I'm like, okay. So I came and it was a very, very dramatic, uh, charismatic church. And the pastor is storming all over the place and grabbing people and, you know, poking people and it was very theatrical. And, and, uh, at one point he brings, uh, my friend Billy's girlfriend uh, to the altar and and like drags her down there and says, "We need to pray for you. You need to get healed." And she, she was kind of like, "You okay?" You know, she could tell she wasn't really. Uh, she was kind of like going along with it, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so he's praying and he's he's pit, hitting her in the head and, and I'm just watching all this, going, "What in the? It's like a circus. This guy is just like a circus performer, and you know, it's just amazing theatrics, and um, nothing happened." And so he began to bawl her out in the service hmm. for her lack of faith. And, you know, you'll never get the anointing if you don't have the have faith. You know, he's just spouting all these phrases. And I'm, you know, I'm a recently graduated high school student. I don't know a whole lot, but I was raised in the church and I was raised in good churches and I was raised in a family that really was in the Bible. And I'm like, you know, I'm sure, Pastor, you know more than I do, but you're wrong. You know, you're misusing the Bible. This yeah. is not right. You know, I remember just being kind of righteously angry, you know, as yeah. a teenage boy, a fresh graduate, um, that you're not using the Bible right. Mm. And the way that you're shaming this, I know it is my, my friend's girlfriend, but it doesn't matter. It's you're shaming anybody. It was, it was terrible, hmm. but you know, to listen to just the language is full of Bible phrases and Bible you know, sentences and Bible words, including this idea of living in the anointing. Right. And, uh, and so if people have been around or maybe, you know, right now it's really popular for you know people to watch their favorite preacher on TV. And there are some, some teachers and preachers on TV that love to use this living in the anointing or, in the anointing uh, language, I could name you five or six right off the bat. Um, and you know, I had a guy come up to me one time and say, you know, I, I love Sunday mornings because I listen to my favorite preacher on the way in, and I won't name the preacher because I struggle with him. And he said, and then I get to hear you. It's like you guys are, you know, on the same page, and I'm like, oh, you just. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you just no. We're we're completely different. But, yeah. but this guy, you know, is listening to me and listening to this other preacher who I think is really off the mark, and he's kind of blending our teachings together. You know, and who knows what he believes? But, yeah, you know? yeah. So uh, you know, if you're used to hearing that language, then you have perhaps a whole different understanding of this language hmm. of anointing. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It can it, it can be used very colloquial colloquially yeah. mm-hmm. and um say that three times fast. yeah c- c- yeah i won't try again <laughs> i won't try but uh and what i love about the clarity that we get when we look at a, a biblical theology of anointing like we did on sunday mm-hmm. is it helps us to understand it, this is a thing that is common to believers but it, it is not a thing that is to be thrown around 
Well, it's it's common, but under, uh, misunderstood. In fact, not only misunderstood, uh, not even uh, I think there's a lot of people that aren't even aware of the idea mm. that they are anointed. Yeah, which is why that line works so well. You know, you, you know, I am anointed, and you are too. It's like what I am. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just like when we say you're a priest. No, I'm not. Well, according to First Peter chapter two, verse nine. We are a royal priesthood. You exactly. are a priest of God. Right. Uh, no, I'm not. The Bible says you are, you know, yeah. so that sometimes that, you know, especially if a person is raised in a Catholic church and they've mm-hmm. got an idea of what a priest is like, no, I am not a priest. <laughs> and so I don't want to trash the Catholics, but I think the Catholics need to be a little bit more Lutheran there, a little more biblical that, you know, that there, there is a priesthood of believers. Yeah. It's very clear theology from mm. you know letters of Peter and Paul, and, and of course p- part of the role of the priest, um, or at least a, p- one of the ways I've heard it taught is a priest represents the people to God and can represent God exactly. God to people. That's a great definition. This sort of go between sort of um, mm-hmm. mediator, f- yeah, me- mediatory function, mm-hmm. which is similar to a one aspect of anointing sure. that you talked about yeah. on Sunday, which was that we are anointed to represent God's presence mm-hmm. in the world. And I loved how you touched on some of the temple implements that were anointed to represent aspects of God as symbols. Mm-hmm. And I, actually, as I was listening to the sermon, your your the, the way that you talked about symbolism and you like really carefully worked through, you know, we mm-hmm. understand symbols. Mm-hmm. I love symbolism and i think there's a lot of misunderstanding so i was like <laughs> yeah i was like oh dude we could have a whole podcast <laughs> on symbolism but yeah. I, we don't need to get into that um my my point is that idea of being anointed to represent god's presence and yet there's this there's also this language about being a priest of god there's this priesthood of all believers that mm-hmm. peter talks about in his epistles so it can cause some people to, or at least it sometimes causes me to ask. So I'm anointed by God to represent him. And, and I'm a priest along with all other believers. Uh, and yet there are also other you know, streams of the church who have a specific position called a priest or mm-hmm, a specific mm-hmm, sure. leader called a priest who they, you know, ordain into ministry, who they receive as a sort of a unique case. Mm-hmm. So, you know, is there anything to that? You know, am I, am I, do I live in the positional authority of a priest as a believer who's anointed to represent God and who is a part of the priesthood of all believers? There's, there becomes sort of this interesting dynamic where there's the, this common ministry that we have. Mm-hmm. There's this common empowering and filling of the spirit that we have. And yet there's, this sort of positional thing that happens in some branches yeah. of the church. How do you, how do we deal with all yeah. those? Well, that's going to be dependent upon what branch of Christianity you're been mm-hmm. nurtured in. Yeah. Um, can I say something really strong? I, I, I personally feel that that creating the class of the priesthood uh, was one of the worst things that could have ever happened to the, to Christianity. Mm. Um, I, I know that I'm, I'm sure the motives were, were right, and you know so much of of Christian language came from Judaism, yeah. and so you know our language of elders, you know our language of sacrifice, you know there's there's tons of it. and priest there's a role of priests, uh, and so it's really easy to see how you know you would just take that language and that role from the Old Testament and from you know let's not even say Old Testament from first century Judaism was right. practicing yeah. you know in such a way that there were priests in the temple and but i think that it was a terrible mistake i don't think that they that the early christians grasped the thoroughness of the revolution that Jesus was bringing. Mm. And this is one of those areas. Yeah. And that's why I think, you know, Peter's words are so significant when he calls us a royal priesthood. That is incredible language. Mm-hmm. You know, a priest was a, as we've said earlier, is a very significant role, that mediator role between God and people and people and God. And I think that a better understanding of the New Testament is that we are a priest to each other. Mm-hmm. That, you know, we receive confession from each other and we we lay hands on one another and we say to one another, you are absolved of that guilt. You are forgiven. We hear, you know, someone say that those are yes. priestly functions. I think we're meant to happen across the body of Christ horizontally, mm-hmm. not vertically. And I think 
the the early Christians may this is really a bold statement (laughs) may have inserted too much verticality in the Mm. priesthood and not enough horizontal ministry. Yeah, and and I think that eventually created this clergy gap, this gap between the clergy and the laity Mm -hmm. In, in the New Testament. The clergy do not are not a class. They are not a group of people. Everybody is kleros. You know, everybody is a clergy. Like likewise, uh, the laos, the laity, is not a class. Uh, everybody is laos, which means people of God. Right. So you know, you know, you and I are pastors. We are ordained, but that has that really has nothing to do with any priestly function. Mm-hmm. If you and I were not ordained pastors, we would still be full-blooded priests able to minister to each other. And I wish that more Christians realized their yeah. priesthood, their ministry or priesthood. And I, I, I think the early church, you know, structures mm-hmm. that began to get developed. Um, you know, actually began to hinder some of the the ministry of the church, and and what eventually happened was the laity began became the people who sat and listened to the clergy teach. They began to watch them do ministry, and it created what we now have as the spectator mm-hmm. sports, the the separation between clergy and laity that is just, I think trashes the vision of every member ministry in, that you see in the New Testament. Yeah, it, it's an it, interesting way. It weakens the church so much. Yeah, I, and it's, I love how you said that, the, the, this priestly ministry. It, it's almost like it was in, intended to be a description of the kind of you know, where we're, we're representing God to one another by, you know, I mean, we, we, we talk about all these concepts a lot. You, this is not, this should not feel foreign to us because we talk about mm-hmm. how we are, um, you know, we, we're, we're, we're here and we're flesh and bones and we re- can, we can represent God's presence to one another. You might as well be saying you know, were, we're a nation of priests when you say that, right? We're, mm-hmm. there's a sense that we can represent mm-hmm. that we're, we want to become like Christ so that we're, you know, people can look at us. You even said this in your sermon, people can look at us mm-hmm. when they want to know you know, what God is like, which is a terrifying, it is, it and sh- it should a wonderful thing. Yes, but um, you know that's that's a part of the beauty of community, right? If you want to run this all the way into practical theology or into ministry language, this is part of the reason we have small groups is mm-hmm. because we know that there's yes. a desperate need for people to get acquainted with one another's shortcomings and you know longcomings, you know the the <laughs> things that they are. Yeah, uh, you know that the Lord is blessing in them and growing in them that can be encouraged, mm-hmm. uh, and the things that are need to be pruned. It's, it, this is a part of the role of community that we can say it's essential, absolutely essential. And, and uh, you know, there are times where we will receive direct prompting from God, but, but I know in my life, I've as I've I've said this on the podcast too. I'm sure at least once. We can fall into a tra- this either or trap where it has to be all promptings that sort of feel like they're coming just to me from the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. or I can completely ignore promptings and just mm-hmm. want to seek the approval of people in my life. Mm-hmm. But God has given us people to uh, speak to us. Like he wants to speak to us through yeah. the people that are in our lives. And to test and confirm what we think we're hearing. Right. There's so much, so much value in, in that. And, and, and I blame people like myself. It's, it's pastors and preachers and mm. priests and and you know, what are other names that you know, presbyters, you know, reverends, you know, <laughs> it, it's it's people like me, especially you know, two thousand years ago or nineteen hundred years ago, that I think misused and maybe even abused some of their uh, roles, their authority, and and began to emphasize and to facilitate this separation mm. of church leaders from the church people that mm. I don't believe the new Testament ever meant to, right. to, uh, to create. Now, surely there, there definitely is in the new Testament leadership and not everybody is on the same equal plane as leaders. You know, you have hierarchy of leaders for sure. That's necessary. Um, 
But how that leadership is exercised, instead of it being more of a servant role, instead of it being, you know, <clears throat> I'm I'm exercising the gifts that God's given me and the role he's given me to serve the body, we began to turn it into to serve myself, to serve mm. my interests. And, and this is one of the reasons why people hate the church, because... The church is this beautiful thing birthed by the Holy Spirit, and mm. you know Jesus is the is the, the the chief the lead pastor of the church, but it's full of people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and because it's full of people, it's full of sin, it's full of pride, it's full of self centeredness, and and that the church is a very human institution. But if people only see it as a human institution, then I can understand why they want to bail. But it is not first and foremost a human institution. First and foremost, it is a spiritual organism. You know, mm-hmm. Paul talks about the church as the body of Christ. Yeah. So before it became an organization, it was an organism. Mm-hmm. And that's its primary uh, definition, its primary meaning. And yes, we do need to talk about this organism needs to be organized. Look at the way God made our bodies. They're not random, you know, floating <laughs> jellies, you know, we, our bodies are organized, but yeah. that's not the yeah. definition of us. I'm not, my, I'm not defined by my skin and bones, but my skin and bones help organize mm-hmm. my body. Right. And I, I see people all the time, they get so focused on the organization of uh, uh, the um, the structure of the church and the humanity of the church that they define the church that way and then they just reject it. Mm. And so we need to get back to biblical theology. We need to go back to, I mean, what does the Bible teach us about the church? First and foremost, it's the body of Christ. It's an organism that's dependent on each other. Mm-hmm. You know, but we're back to the priestly thing. We need each other and we're leaning on each other. And, and you know, you're the eye and I'm the ear and we, we need both of those. And so back to the leadership, the leaders are just a role, just another part of the body. Yeah. They're not the most important part of the body. They're just another part of the body. And we need leaders just like we need um, you know, um, administrators, just like we need teachers, just like we need preachers. Yeah. Each one of these roles, as Paul says so beautifully in 1 Corinthians 12, is necessary. And um, so, yeah, I, I can. You and I can see easily the human humanity of the church, its weaknesses, its frailties, its sin, its you know, the things that are horrible about it. But it's the bride of Christ, and it's the body of Christ, and and uh, it's what Jesus invested Himself in. And so, I, I want to keep coming back to that. Yeah. And I don't want to ignore, you know, the sins of the church. I don't want to, you know, uh, pretend that they're not there, but I don't want to focus on them either. Mm-hmm. And um, so when we focus on what the church really is, that it's made up of, you know, all these members, all these parts of the body, all these roles, then we can have this discussion about priests in a much more healthy way. Mm. You know, no one is holding a hierarchical you know, power over somebody else. No, we're serving each other. Yeah. And, and one of the really messy examples of that hierarchical power was you, you had church leaders who would like threaten to withhold salvation from people for for personal, you you know, (laughs) personal reasons. And that's, you know, that, that's what we mean by that. No, that's not what we're, (laughs) that's not what we're about. That's, that's not what happens here. We're, or people in service to God. And, and yeah, I, and when we you know, abuse that, um, that role or that gifting, we, uh, because we're supposed to represent Christ as his body, um, that, you know, that's, as we've been talking, that's why people will walk away at times. Um, and, and that sort of brings us back to this idea of representing representing God that you talked about in your sermon. And there's one other thing about this I wanted to ask you about, which is the way that you connected it with the image of God. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even as, as recently as in the last month, we've talked about the image of God uh, in, in the sermons. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think if I remember correctly, it was with reference to our emotions. And I I think you said something along the lines of, of course we have emotions. We're made in God's image. You know, God has, you know, God's an emotive being Mm -hmm. and, and we're like God, we're made in his image. And so, Part of the reason or part of the reality is that we have complex emotions. We have a mind. We have 
uh, you know, will. These, these different things. Right. And so that's, that's, I think, what a lot of people think about when they think about God's image. Uh, and yet, or in addition to that, you're talking about it with relationship to representing God. So can mm-hmm. you, is it, is it both? What, you know, how, what does that mean? Yeah. How, how do those relate? Yeah. And, and they, they do relate really well together. Mm-hmm. Um, they shouldn't be separated apart, like dissected. Sure. Because, you know, the whole idea of being made in the image of God is that I am made to reflect him. Yes. And then to represent him. Mm-hmm. And so it, it connects together because I have emotions, because I have a will, you know, I because I have a mind. So there's this intellectual, volitional, emotional, spiritual part of me that reflects what what it means to be made in the image of God, because these things are true about God. Yeah. And he made me in his image and gave me a will like he has, gave me emotions like he has, gave me intellect like he has, mm-hmm. so that I could fulfill my role of representing him. And so, you know, animals and stones and birds can't represent him because they don't, they're not made in his image. Yeah. So the very fact that we're made in the image of God leads us to this concept of so that we can represent him. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this, you know, the God placing Adam and Eve in the garden, this language of stewardship, you know, take care of the garden, mm-hmm. you know, subdue it, rule over it, you know, rule in a, in a kingly, in a God-like kind of way. Because again, you're representing me. So, you know, I created this creation. I love it. You take care of it, you Mm -hmm. know? And so there's, this is the the nugget of truth and people who are very environmentally conscious and, you know, there's biblical grounds for us to be Christians should be at the forefront of being environmentally uh, thoughtful because it's God's creation. It's nobody yeah. else's. God created it, put us in charge and said, now you're representing me in my creation. Do it well, you know, represent me well. Yeah. And so, you know, use your, your mind, use your heart, use your will, use your emotions. And, and as you represent me in this garden that I've placed you in, mm-hmm. and as you represent me in a way that honors me. Yeah, and you, you'll, you'll probably be able to tell me the reference of this quote, but there's a phrase in Paul where, where he writes, all creation groans mm. in anticipation of the revelation of the sons mm-hmm. of God or something, al- something yeah. along those lines. Yeah. I understand that to, to mean that what God has created is waiting for <laughs> God's yes. created image to, to image him. Well, yes. right. It's, it's there that we have a God, God designed humanity to be, you know, co-rulers mm-hmm. with, with, with him over his creation to, to rule with him to, to, uh, so we're, this is where our whole understanding of stewardship comes from that God created yeah. the world and then entrusted it to mm-hmm. humanity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's also the roots of what we mean when we talk about becoming like Christ. Yes. So Jesus never experienced the, the distortion mm. of sin, deforming the image of God in him. Yeah. Whereas you and I have. Right. So when we sin, when and Adam sinned, and every time I sin, there's a deformation of the image of God, but it mm-hmm. never um, uh, completely destroys the image of God. I, I can't ever not be a human being made in the image of God, no matter how much I sin, no matter how much I hate God, no matter how self-centered I live, I will yeah. always be made in the image of God. So, mm-hmm. And that image of God is can never be destroyed in me. Yeah, but it can be defaced, deformed, distorted, and lots of other D's. Yeah, it's we're still reflective material. <laughs> yeah, yeah. we just reflect poorly because you know, we're we're this broken mirror, right. and so it's this distortion of, you know, we so we rather than um, stewarding creation well toward its flourishing, we we can use creation mm-hmm. to toward its detriment and yes. to, for our own and selfish misuse, gain, yeah. or we can misuse people. Mm-hmm. And we can we can treat people like objects rather than like co, you know, co rulers of yeah. the universe. I mean, this is like co-heirs, yeah, co, yeah, co heirs to God's kingdom. And there's a yeah, I I wrote a I wrote a class all about this out of this concept, specifically focusing on the mind. 
But um, the the argument of the class is that we're made in God's image. And because we're made in God's image, we have these faculties. We have a mind and, and a heart and these, these sorts of the will. And that uh, being made in God's image is a part of what that means is that we're made to live in relationship with God. Like mm-hmm. we reflect him well when we live in intimate relationship with yep. him. So having a mind, having a heart, uh, it increases our ability to relate to God. And it, it as I was studying that, it, it helped me to, I, I had all these cool realizations that um, it just, I, I was so grateful for having a mind because I thought about what, how would my relationship with God or my ability to be in a relationship with him mm. be diminished mm-hmm. if I didn't have a mind, oh. like if I, if I didn't have memory, if yeah. I didn't have complex reasoning, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, or, or on the emotional end, if you didn't have the ability to sense, um, you know, gratitude, uh, you know, our, our ability to relate to one another it, it, as God's representative or to God in order to reflect him well, which, would be so diminished. Yes. And, and which is why the incarnation is so fascinating yeah. that God chose to incarnate himself mm. in Jesus. So Jesus, you know, never defaces the image of God and never gets distorted, never gets deformed in any way. He shows us this is what humanity is at its best. This yeah. is a flourishing humanity, you know, that you love perfectly, you discern perfectly, mm-hmm. you, your will is in perfect sync with God's will. Yes. And, and Jesus says, I only do what the, what I see the Father doing. Oh, that's what, that's what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. As a human being, I'm made to only do what I see the Father doing because the Father's perfect and I'm supposed to reflect Him. Yeah. And so, you know, these three R's I talk, I like to talk about when I'm preaching from Genesis, you know, these three critical R's. I'm, I'm made to, uh, relate to God, reflect God, represent God. Mm. And th- those are so powerful, yeah. each one of those. They, they, and since I have failed in all those, I need to be redeemed you know, by God. So these, these significant R's that, that help us define, what do I do now that I'm a human being? What does it mean that I'm made in the image of God? Well, I, I relate to God, I reflect God, I represent God. And if I, the better I relate to him, the better I'll reflect him and the better I'll be able to represent him, yeah. which oddly means the more I'm becoming like Christ. Exactly. <laughs> and that's, I, I, even, even for me, there are times where I hear the call to Christ likeness as a, which it is this, but I, there are, I, there are times where I can hear it as this standard that I need to meet and mm. keep. And then in some ways, yes, you know, Christ in did ways, set the bar. Yeah, he's the standard. But more than that, I've heard this a couple of times recently, and I just, it's so helpful to me. It's a promise. Mm. It's an opportunity. Yes. It, rather than saying you, it's, you must be like Christ. Okay, true. But you can be like yes, Christ. And this yes. is the beauty of the promise of the Spirit. That's right. That the Holy Spirit's power is in us to move us toward Christ-likeness. And if all you live is in the must and the should, what does that become? A legalism. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, just trying to justify yourself by your own efforts and always mm-hmm. always a failing proposition. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, we, need, we need to hear more about the promise, don't we? Yes. Yes. And, the, and it's be. this, yeah, this it's invitation, good. right? It's not it's not a, hey, I've given you the spirit, so you ought to or you mm-hmm. better. Right. I mean, that there's truth in that. Yep. Um, but I, I think what's been so healing for me is uh, I know you can't. And that's why I've given you the spirit so mm-hmm. that you may. Yeah. And so it's, well, see, you know, that's, that's the thing that sets Christianity apart from every other religion. When, when we talk about mm-hmm. indicative versus imperative yes. in, in Christianity, we don't lead with the imperative. We lead with the indicative, meaning you are, this is who you are. So this is what you should do. Yes. You should live out what you are. Whereas the, you know, other religions, it's they flip. They, 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 focus on the imperatives so that you can become. Yeah. Oh no, it's that's that's the amazing thing. You are a priest. You are a child of God. You are redeemed. So therefore, live out that, you know, mm, redemption. Yes. Live out what God has put in you. Yes. It sets us completely apart from other religions. And, and I think this is th- this may be a good uh bridge into another point that we could bring up, which is a quote you made out of First John, is it, talking about anointing, mm-hmm, sure. Because I think some some people, um, 
they can they can get the sense that hey i'm you know so jim what i what i hear you saying is that i'm anointed just like king david just like king jesus <laughs> yeah and so you know i i'm you know i'm superman now i can do whatever i want i can do you know and there's yeah we're we're anointed and the the same power that raised christ jesus from the dead is living in us mm-hmm. if god so willed it you know, we could walk into a hospital and clear it you know, that, there is power mm-hmm. in the name of Jesus. There's power available to us because of the Holy Spirit. And yet, uh, you know, there's this interesting phrase in this first John passage that you didn't bring out, but that can get into this interplay of, okay, so I have the, the, the anointing of the Spirit. I've got the power of the Spirit. And yet, I'm still becoming mm-hmm. like Christ. Right. Uh, so I'm, you know, and maybe you can bring us more into this. Well, there's idea. a whole lot to say here, um, for sure. Um you know, let's let's start by saying this: that I cannot ever become like Christ by myself, mm. and uh, no person can ever become fully like Christ uh, in and of themselves. Uh, in other words, not only do I need you to help me to become like Christ, um, but we can't represent Christ's image perfectly in this world by ourselves. So um, unlike, you know, when Jesus walked around, he was the body of Christ. He was the perfect image of God. He he didn't need anybody. But for you and I, if the body of Christ and the image of Christ is going to be best seen, it needs to be seen as the church. Mm -hmm. Because I don't have all the gifts. I don't have all the virtues. I, I am not like Christ enough. So I need you for your gifts, your perspective, your uh, Christ likeness. You put us together, and we are a more fuller representation, more fuller, uh, more fully represent God. And yeah. and the idea there is that the, the as the, you know the body of Christ, you know, is the light of the world. So you know, Jesus never says to one person, "You are the light of the world," or to one person, "You are the body of Christ." It's plural. Together, you are the light of the world, yeah. and together, you are the body of Christ. And so. Um, you know this idea that I am just like Christ. I have the full anointing enough that I, you know, I have the mind of Christ. I don't have anybody to need need teach me. That's what John says in First John chapter two. And so sometimes people read the rest of that verse to to mean, hey, I have all that I need. I am just like Christ. I have the fullness of the Spirit. Uh, I have the anointing, and just as it says in First John, therefore I have no one. No one needs to teach me. I know everything. Well, the Bible doesn't say you know everything. It says mm-hmm. you have the anointing, and you have no need for a teacher. So, you know that does. What does that mean? Well, the first rule of interpretation is what context. Yeah. And so, what's the context of First John? It's false teachers. It's confusion because of the false teachers. Yeah. And it's people, you know, all up in arms about I don't I don't know what to believe. I thought I believed right, but now these you know, teachers are coming and tell me I'm wrong. And so, you know, and John is saying, you don't need those teachers. You, you have the teaching, you have the anointing, you don't need those false teachers. That's what he's saying. He's not saying you have no need for any teacher, because think about it. John's teaching Mm -hmm. when he says that, you know, he's contradicting himself. If he, as the teacher is saying, you have no need for teaching, I'm teaching you right now. So (laughs) clearly that's not what it means. But when you understand the context that these false teachers are creating so much problem and so much insecurity and doubt in the people, mm. now I understand John saying, you don't need those guys. You have the truth. Yeah. Uh, and he's not saying, you know, you in within yourself have all the truth that's necessary. You have the anointing. You don't need anybody else. It's just you and Jesus. You know, you're like a silo. Mm-hmm. That is not what John is saying or what anywhere else in the Bible it says. But that's how some people misinterpret that passage in First John. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's so helpful. And again, it points back to, like, like just as you said, our need for community mm-hmm. uh, that we're... <laughs> again and again, I guess. Yeah, and also, let's, let's also s- extend that. If, if we talked about how only the only people that received the anointing uh, in in the Old Testament are prophets, priests, and kings, mm. and we've already said that the New Testament says that we are priests. Does it also say we are prophets and we are kings? Do we have that 
prophet, priest, and king anointing. Yeah. Because another thing I did not say um, is that I don't think. Uh, maybe I did, but that you know Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king. He he is all three wrapped up in one. So yeah. back to our typology conversation, every true prophet in the Old Testament is a picture of Christ. Every true priest in the Old Testament is a picture of Christ. Every true king is a picture of Christ. But and in, in no person do we have all four of all three of those things: prophet, priest, and king. Right. The closest we come is when people have two, like Samuel. He's a prophet and he's a priest, but Samuel never served as a king. There is nobody in the Old Testament or in the New Testament that serves as prophet, priest, and king except Jesus. Yeah. So again, it's it's the idea of that you know you bring the prophecy role and prophecy gifts, and I bring the priestly and I bring the kingly. To, and you know, not, I don't bring the kingly. But, but you know, together we fulfill the image of Christ. Yeah. So back to this question of: Is there a prophetic anointing? Is there a kingship anointing? And because we, we there is a priestly anointing, mm-hmm. and outside of England, of course. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> right. Um, so we'll start with prophetic because uh, you know Moses says in Deuteronomy, "I wish that all of God's people would prophesy." You know, um, and then. Paul picks up on, and on whether he's quoting Moses, um, but he says that I wish that you all would prophesy, and so that's that's not the anointing of the prophetic. That's the role of us ministering to each other. So, you know, just as you had said earlier in this podcast, what's the difference between a uh, a, a role, a class, a position, yeah. and and everybody you know trafficking that? So. You know, for instance, you know, everybody is supposed to be giving, but not everybody has the spiritual gift of giving. Right. Everybody is supposed to be, you know, shepherding and caring for one another, but not everybody has the gift or the role of shepherd. Mm-hmm. And so in, in the same way, Paul kind of pictures the early church as everybody is exercising some kind of prophetic gift, meaning that I, to minister to you, sometimes God will give me a word of encouragement to you because a prophetic gift is defined as a word of encouragement, a word of comfort, a word of instruction, a word of, of rebuke. So as I exercise, you know, comforting you or encouraging you, instructing you, there's a sense in which I'm operating in the prophetic because a, a prophet is just merely speaking the words from God. Uh, so everybody is supposed to be exercising the prophetic role in that sense. Mm-hmm. But then there is like a capital P prophet that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4.11 that God has given to the church, prophets, apostles. Okay, now that's a distinct class of people. Right. Not everybody is is you know uh, an apostle. Not everybody is a prophet, but everybody is apostolic because apostolic means what? Sent. Sent. Everybody's mm-hmm. sent. So right. we can say everybody's apostolic, everybody's prophetic, but not everybody's a prophet. Not everybody's an apostle. And so, you know, we want to keep separated these two understandings of, of, of we're ministering to each other in these gifts and these roles, but there's also a position, a class, a, ro- a, a role that God's mm-hmm. given. Like, for instance, the word evangelist. We're all to be evangelizing. In right. Ephesians 4.11, uh, Paul says that God's given some to be evangelists. Now, that doesn't mean that only some people evangelize, because what does Paul say is the first responsibility of the prophets, the apostles, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists? It is to what? Equip. Equip the saints. So I'm not to evangelize mm-hmm. because I have the gift and the role of evangelism. No, I'm to equip others to evangelize. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, this is the same thing for the apostolic, the prophetic, the pastoral, the the, the didactic. You know, we, these are roles we do to equip the body so the body is strengthened and and mature, et cetera. Yeah. So, so just to review, uh, um, there is a sense in which every spirit-filled Christian, every Christian, which is therefore spirit-filled, is to move in the prophetic in a small p kind of a way that we're encouraging one another, we're comforting, we're we're speaking words of, of you know, Paul says or Peter says in First Peter chapter four, anyone who speaks should speak the ver- you know as, as if he's speaking the very words of God. Yeah, you know, so that's 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 prophetic. But um, and we've already said that pr- there's a role for every Christian to be a priest. But what about king? Hmm. 
And, uh, and, th- and here's the Bible is really, really clear. There is a one king, <laughs> there is a kingdom, and there are subjects in the kingdom. That's us. Yes. <laughs> you know, there's not multiple kings. The Bible never calls us kings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, but we are heirs. We are heirs. So we're, yeah, we're and, citizens and of the heirs. kingdom, you know, co-heirs with Christ, yes. which is... Yeah, we that, are the king's kids. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, yeah. really yeah. We we have an inheritance in the kingdom, but there's there's a difference between having an inheritance and being a king. Yeah, uh, and so we you know, we celebrate our inheritance yeah. and and the things that we receive, like the anointing of the spirit. Yeah. you know, and uh, and, th- and this brings us to uh, further language that where the Bible yes. Bible uses about anointing. So this this this. There's a way that the Bible uses anointing uh, that's like a special blessing, a special gifting, a special dispensation, although I want to be really careful with that word. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I never want to capitalize that. Uh, dispensational. Um, it's a dispensary. Yeah, a, that, yeah. That, that, that God gives a a, a, a a extra blessing. So right. we'll say about a preacher sometimes, wow, he's anointed. You know, or a, a person exercising their ministry. Wow, we sense an anointing when she sings. Mm-hmm. W- what we're saying is we're, we're recognizing that special blessing, that special uh, sense of God working in a, in a profound way. Uh, so everybody's anointed, but we sometimes sense an elevated, uh, man, I just really sense the spirit of God, the presence of God here when you're, when you're singing or when you're preaching or when you're teaching, mm-hmm. that's appropriate. That's, yeah. that, that's, that's a sense of an anointing. And then of course there's the, the language of anointing people with oil. Um, it's a whole nother world that uses this same word, yeah. uh, which is also very colorful because, you know, we said that the word anoint me, it comes from krios, uh, you know, to anoint with oil. And so this, this whole language of anointing oil gets extended into laying hands on people and anointing them with oil, uh, which is a, a way of representing that the Holy Spirit's working as I pray for you, the Holy Spirit's working in your life to heal and to, and to uh, restore yeah, so, yeah. You know, there's there's so much to be said about that that, we, that I did, couldn't cover in the sermon, and that's right. why we have a cutting room floor podcast. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And there's and, and one last thing we got we got a couple minutes yet um, th- that we're already getting into is that you you covered a lot of the similarities between the Old Testament concept and the New Testament concept as it's flowering in the person of Jesus, mm-hmm. and then how it applies to us. And yet there are some differences mm. in, in the way that anointing and the work of the Spirit happened in the Old Testament, how it happened in the life of Jesus, mm-hmm. and then how it works for Definitely. us. And, and, you know, one of them is when you think about the the kingly aspect of that, you know, as you've said, there were kings in the Old Testament who were anointed, mm-hmm. you know, so at that point, it, you know, but, but they were all shadows of the one king, Jesus, Amen. who is our king. Yeah. Um, praise, yeah, praise Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> so cool. But um, and an, a, another difference is that uh, is something that David brings up in Psalm fifty-one when he says, uh, "You know, take not your Holy Spirit from me." Mm-hmm. You know, this is King David praying in response to his sin with Bathsheba mm-hmm. and you know, and murder and these sorts of things, and he's saying, "Don't you know? Don't take the Holy Spirit from me." And uh, maybe you can bring light into what what is it what is he saying there and yeah. and do should we pray that yeah. and how does that what does that look like for us? Well, there's again there's multiple things to be said here. Yes, uh, I I actually think that when David was saying that, I think he was thinking about how he saw God remove his spirit from his predecessor. Yes, because King Saul, the first king of Israel, was anointed. Mm-hmm. He was the first anointed king of Israel. Samuel anointed him. And the spirit came and rested upon Saul. And we see Saul prophesying and Saul doing things, you know, led by the spirit. Yeah. But then uh, Saul allowed his own personal um, sin, his own personal false humility, if you read Saul's story, uh, his own personal agendas, his own insecurities really began to bleed into his role as king. Mm. And he, instead of being like David, a sinful man who's leaning into God, 
he's a sinful man who got overwhelmed with his sin and who uh, began to try to operate out of his own strength. And he had to be removed because he, he, he was so focused on his failures and his sin and his his inabilities that he tried to fix that with the, out of his own strength. This is a powerful lesson for us mm-hmm. because we do the same thing. We're anointed and then we sin like you know, everybody but Jesus. What do we do with that? Do we say, well, you know, I'm going to fix it in my own strength. Do we beat ourselves up? Do we just, you know, go in, in hiding? This is, these are the things that Saul did and versus David who also sinned saying, I confess my sin uh, I need you, you know, forgive me. You know, th- this is so beautiful. I love David. He's such a model for us. But I think he's saying, you know, I saw what, what happened when Saul sinned and you took your, your superior him. Don't do that to me, you know. Yeah. You yeah. Know, forgive me. I'm, I'm confessing my sin. I'm, I'm not trying to argue it and rationalize it. I'm not trying to fix it in my own strength. I'm owning it. And, you know, so would you treat me differently than you treated Saul? <laughs> I, I think, you know, I can't prove that, yeah. but... He, he was strumming the harp in Saul's court as he saw Saul turn, yeah. as the S-A-W, Saul, S-A-U-L, turn and almost get demonic, you know, through the spirit, David one time. And so um, I, I think maybe that David is reacting to that. I also think that uh, he he is reflecting the fact that in the Old Testament we don't see the Holy Spirit come and rest in His power and His presence and His anointing, um, you know, and and remain, which I think is one of the things behind John saying in First John two twenty, the anointing you have remains in you. Is He reflecting the understanding that in the Old Testament the Spirit came and went? You know, he came upon Bezalel so Bezalel could do craftsmanship, and then he left. You know, came upon Saul so Saul could prophesy, and then left. You know, did he come upon David and then leave? You know, we, we don't have, we don't see that, but we see David do some pretty bad things, right? And so, so you know, but we also know that that Jesus says to his disciples, "The Spirit is with you, but He will be in you, and you know, He will remain with you." So. I think one of these discontinuities is that the Spirit came and went in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, He's here to stay. Yes. He's here to be with you. He'll remain with you. Mm-hmm. He'll be in you. And that's one of the big discontinuities between the mm-hmm. the, the Old and the New Testaments. Yeah, and time, time may not allow for us to totally unpack how that might apply to... As, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking of our conversation that we've just had about positional leadership mm-hmm. and anointing mm-hmm. and the, sort of these special, you know, these unique mm-hmm. anointings um, and all the people who we've seen fall in mm-hmm. ministry oh my recently, yes. you know, so it's, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about some of those folks and thinking what, what happened to are there, they are still anointed in Christ mm-hmm. by the spirit, right? There's, they I, you know, lose I, their I believe, yeah, they didn't, they didn't lose the filling of the spirit. Um, and yet Many of them either step away or you know their 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 ability to exercise their the unique anointing of leadership mm-hmm. is stripped away for a time or or you know for for all time in some cases. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. Yeah, it takes a lot of wisdom to to deal with when a person who's been in who's in leadership and who has a fall mm-hmm. because theologically. You can make the argument really easily. Hey, isn't that person under grace? And so, you know, they don't have to do pay penance. They don't have to sit out of the game. They can receive God's grace the the moment after they sin. Yes, they can. There's a difference between receiving God's grace, appropriating God's grace, being forgiven, um, staying as a part of the body of Christ, and exercising a role that is a privilege and that people are looking up to you and uh and you you have a you do have a standard you have to keep mm-hmm. leadership brings with it a standard and uh, you can scream and cry and bite and all you want about it but it's just it's just we expect a leader to be at a different level and so sometimes I'll teach our leaders that you know when you the higher you move up on leadership the more 
privileges you lose, the more freedom you lose. And people are like, what? You know, <laughs> no, did you just say the higher I rise in leadership, the more privileges I lose? Yes. The more freedom I lose? Yes. You're, I'm not free to do whatever I want because, you know, there are people who are watching and, and saying, I'm trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Christ as I follow you, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1. And, you know, so I see you doing this. And I'm not there to be able to ask you, and why are you doing this? You know, mm-hmm. how, what's your freedom in Christ look like? And so I become a stumbling block. I'm not free to say whatever I want, do whatever I want, uh, because I'm I'm a lead pastor. I'm at the highest position in a local church. But anybody who's on that leadership, you know, ladder, the higher you move up, the more freedoms you lose. And this always frustrates some leaders because they think that leadership, the more you move up. You know, the more freedom, the more you, you can tell people what to do. The more everybody serves you, the more mm-hmm. freedom you have. Yeah. I can do whatever I want. Mm, that's the worldly leadership. That's not Jesus' leadership. Yeah. You know what does Jesus say? Whoever wants to be great must be a servant. Servant of all. No, you you descend into greatness in the kingdom of God. Mm. You know you don't ascend. You descend into greatness. <laughs> and so then Jesus was the model. Yeah. So yeah. So, so therefore, you know, when a person in leadership falls, are they forgiven? Yes. Should they be forgiven immediately? Yes. But should they be restored to that position of authority and leadership? No, not immediately. I mean, maybe eventually you'll have to, you know, it takes wisdom and discernment to know how to, to handle this. But I disagree with this, these decisions of a leader who falls and people go, well, he's contrite. He, he's. He, he, you know, he's learned his lesson. Let's put him back into a position of authority and teaching and leading. I, I think, and in some cases, you should not be restored. In other cases, you should be restored only after a long period of restoration and healing and and you know, ex- exploring why do I have that penchant for that kind of sin? What what was going on that I gave into that mm-hmm. and explore that and. And learn from that, uh, because the last thing you want to do is create this yo-yo effect of, you know, a leader in a visible position sins. Is he forgiven? Yes. Then put him back in. He sins. Is he forgiven? Yes. Then put him back, you know, and it's just a yo-yo and that discredits the name of Christ. Right. And so, you know, we don't punish people. It's not meant to punish people when we say to, as a, to a leader or to anybody else, you need to step aside for a while and, and reflect and, and learn and process and heal we're not punishing. We're, mm-hmm. we're saying, let's let the full redemptive power of God have its work in you so you're not yeah. l- pressured to have to write new sermons and make decisions and lead while yeah. you're still trying to heal your soul. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's a discipleship move, not yes. a, you know. And it's a restoration, a healing yes, move. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, uh, <clears throat> Yeah, I uh, I'm trying to think of how we can wrap this up, but the, well, there's no. I, th- I can't. I think that's yeah. harder to do when we to use our language earlier when mm-hmm. we say you know Clay has such an anointing on his life when when we see that you know uh, you know we we want to restore that sooner than we probably should. Mm. So it helps us get back to you know what do we really mean by anointing and and the levels that anointing ha- means. And um, how it should be used in the church, and just to re- remind ourselves, as Christians, we have an anointing. John, the Apostle John, is right that anointing remains in us, and that is a definitive anointing. That anointing defines who I am. I'm yeah. not defined because I'm a pastor. As a pastor, I'm not defined in my roles as pastor, husband, father, son. I'm defined as a, as a you know Christian who is saved by God's grace, made in his image and redeemed by his blood. That that defines who I am. And that's anointing language. So let's let's rest in that. Let's celebrate that. Let's grow in that. And um and let's remember that with that anointing comes a responsibility. Mm. So I while I can't earn or buy or achieve my anointing, I certainly can steward that and a good place for us to end might be to stay help you know god help us steward that anointing yes. to the glory of god amen and uh that's a good prayer for every christian to pray yeah yeah 
Amen. Yeah. And, and, and as we do that, we represent him well. Yeah. And all, all these concepts are so interwoven because mm-hmm. they're so key to the Christian life. Yeah. And so uh, I'm excited to continue learning in this Learn to Breathe series, Learning to Breathe series. Yeah. I, I am so excited about this, this next week's uh, Father's Day sermon. I, oh, yeah. Oh, man. God's showing me some cool things. I had, we, we had uh, our life group met last night, and man, we had a powerful life group. Mm. Um, if you look through the questions, the last couple of questions that, that I wrote, we, we, one of the questions was, if your group is willing to, because mm-hmm. I, I recognize not every group is willing to do the question of, I was like a confession and breathing out the toxins. Yeah. Our group did. They yeah. entered into that and they, <laughs> they got so honest and, and vulnerable and God met us in some cool cool ways mm. and while i won't go into all the details we're out of time but while some of that was going on i i sensed the spirit whisper to me in my heart do this sunday and mm. so uh you'll find out what this is on sunday <laughs> but I, i'm just praying through that you know how, you know how do i do this uh, and i'm so excited about yeah. what this is yeah. and, it was just, it was a cool life group. It was a cool moment, you know, and it's with the spirit. And I'm just all excited about Sunday. <laughs> Good. Well, that's a Which great... I, I never, hardly ever happens. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah of course. <laughs> <laughs> hardly ever get excited about Sunday. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And yeah, so uh, yeah. with, with that being said, we'll, we'll look forward to gathering again next week for real this time. Because the last time you heard me say that, oh, oh Jim is mouthing to me that he's not going to be here next week. So, but, so we'll... Uh, we'll we'll figure out yeah, a solution for next yeah. week. Maybe but, we can uh, do it Sunday or something. Whenever the next time that it is that we're able to to get together, we we look forward to continuing this conversation with you as we're trying to learn from Jesus, mm. following Him to mm. become like Him. Amen. Uh, and until then, blessings. We'll see you soon. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.